You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I had an amazing conversation with Morgan Lander and S.J. Jones about Kitty Pig. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! What's going on, guys? Welcome to another episode of Pure Pleasure with Dewey Halpus on Equal Vision Records and Sound Talent Media. I am Dewey, your host with the most, bringing you more great content week after week. This week has been a long time coming. This is something we had tried to schedule a few years ago, uh, but it fell through and it, it came through. And I'm super stoked that it did because it was a great conversation with someone I've been listening to for a very long time, Mr. Billy Howardell from A Perfect Circle. Uh, he's got a new solo record out called What Normal Was. And it is an amazing, amazing solo record. I am not usually a huge fan of solo records as a whole. Um, when someone does something that you really enjoy with a band uh, and then do their own thing, it's not always the best. And this, I can honestly say, is a fantastic record. Uh, the whole vibe of this record from start to finish is incredible. Uh, and Billy is just such a, a, an amazing songwriter. Um, I, I am not surprised how much I like this record. It is really, really good. So definitely go check that out. Thanks to Billy for coming on the show and being so gracious with his time. I really appreciate that. I know it's something, like I said, we've been trying to do for a long time and it finally came through and did not disappoint. So uh, let's get some business out of the way and we'll jump right in. So peerpleasurepodcast.com is the website. If you want to show your friend an episode or you know, turn someone onto the show, you can send them there. Uh, PeerPleasurePod at gmail.com is the email if you want to get in touch with me with guest ideas or questions or comments. Um, and then also, uh, you can join the uh, Peer Pleasure Podcast Facebook group, the Peer Pleasure Inner Circle on Facebook. Go join that. That gives you access to who's coming on, 
Uh, if we have time to do questions, uh, you can ask those of the guests. There's all sorts of cool stuff there, as well as the premium service, which is peerpleasure.supportingcast.fm. And you can head over there and sign up for a monthly fee. You get the access to the past cast, the ad-free feed, and the video of the episodes. Um, let's see, rockabilia.com. Rockabilia.com is sponsoring the episode. Uh, they are a fantastic merch company that have over 500,000 items officially licensed from the bands in the store. Uh, Pier 15 will get you 15% off your order. That's P-E-E-R 15. You can go grab some Perfect Circle merchandise. Uh, I mean, there's so much on there. I always talk about the guests that's on, but uh, you can find something for anyone on there. 500,000 items officially licensed from the bands on rockabilly.com. Pier 15 is the code. Go check them out. All right. I'm going to stop rambling here. It is Father's Day. Happy Father's Day to all the fathers out there. Um, it's just a, an interesting day after losing your father. Um, it's always a, a somber day, um, but I try to make it fun with my kids, and uh, hopefully you guys are doing the same thing. Uh, so like I said, happy Father's Day to the fathers out there. All right, guys, let's get into this one. Here's my conversation with Mr. Billy Howardell.
Yeah. Yeah. It's great. Awesome. Yeah. Sounds clear. How about me? You sound great. You sound great. Okay, good. Thanks for doing this, man. I appreciate it. I know, um, I had reached out to Monica a long time ago about doing this, but I think I don't, were you working on this record for like back in before the 19. pandemic? Yeah. Okay. 19. I, I really started it in 19 and like, um, I would say end of July, I really went full force into making it. Man, I see. That's what I remember. Is it, it was it was surrounding the record, and I hit her up about it, and then uh, I don't remember what it, what something came up, and and I, this is one of those situations where I'm glad it's happening now because the record's out. Well, it's coming out, yeah. and I've heard it, and uh, a lot in a lot better space to to chat. So I I yeah. I'm grateful for that. Um, yeah, awesome. Yeah, dude. And, Were and, you okay? Were you okay? Did you get did you get knocked out? No, you, uh... no, I didn't. Luckily, I think uh, I'm I'm pretty sure everyone in my surroundings got the om- Omicron, but right. not the not the bad one, not the really bad one. Luckily, um, yeah, yeah. Did it hit you as well? Um, I got Omicron. Yeah, I got okay. it in February, and I would if I didn't have a show to do, we did a five <laughs> we did a five song performance in vegas and um that stressed me out i have to say because i got it right before that so i wasn't able to warm up or do any singing whatsoever for the two weeks leading up to the show and then i had five days before the show i actually went to urgent care because the cough was still bad and i really didn't feel that sick but i definitely couldn't sing mm-hmm. and uh they gave me a steroid like a prednisone and uh and uh antibiotic and i got it full insomnia so i didn't sleep <laughs> for five days it was insane i mean I, it was i was literally losing my mind and i looked like hell and it was you know it was a bad situation so i, I have to say if i was, didn't have to sing it would have sucked for i would have been sick for two days and then a lingering seven days of you know, cough yeah good lord man yeah it was one of those yeah. weird things where i just I lost, lost my, they didn't lose my voice, but my voice sounded like an octave lower and it was all gravelly. It was just super weird feeling. I'm pretty sure, I mean, we, uh, we had taken tests and it came negative, but I'm pretty sure that's uh, all the symptoms fit. And I was like, there's no way that this didn't have, everyone got it all of a sudden for like a month, everyone was sick. And then, uh, yeah, this whole thing has been absolutely crazy. And I think around that time too, we had these crazy wildfires up here in Oregon as well. Cause I was working a job oh, right. out there and we, they shut the job down for two weeks and, uh, it absolutely crazy. And, and from the smoke, you just couldn't go outside. It was terrible. And so everything was like lung related. All oh yeah. God, that insult to injury. That's awful. Yeah, man. But, uh, like I said, I'm glad, I'm glad we're doing this now. And, and, uh, man, I first, I always, I kind of these go wherever, but like, I kind of start the same way sometimes where, especially with someone like yourself, where I became aware of you, uh, from the first perfect circle record. And I remember buying it. Uh, I believe it came out in 99, right? Uh, 2000, May 23rd, 2000. Okay. I remember that. I'm glad you did because I moved. So I grew up in Alaska and I, I bought it at a Fred Meyer in Wasilla, Alaska, and we moved down in November to Portland. So I, that makes sense that I got it up there that soon. Um, right. But I was completely blown away. I was like, what is this? Like, this is incredible. And I've been hooked ever since. Uh, and I just, I, it was all because the cover looked cool. 
in 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 the in the yeah. CD tray at Fred Meyer. It's a grocery store, everything store up in this area, and uh, right. Uh, so many records I picked up from that Fred Myers, like Refused, Shape of Punk to Come, uh, Mars or uh, Mars Volta, sorry, uh, At the Drive-Ins, Relationship of Command, uh, like all right. these albums that were just like formative for me. Um, and and Meredith Nas was was one of them, and it was it it blew me away. And so I've been a fan ever since. Uh, but it was one of those like transitional periods where it really hit me at the right time. And I really right. dug into it deep and I was just, uh, I was like, where did this come from? <laughs> of course I was, I mean, it, at that point, everyone's aware of, of who Maynard is, but I was like, who is right. behind this? Like, and so then I started digging in, uh, into what you, you were doing and it, I mean, and then finally, uh, the last time you guys were through at the, uh, Memorial Coliseum, uh, Monica, uh, popped us on the list and I got to actually see it live which was oh, nice. intense. And I, oh, cool. oh man, I wish I had seen, seen you guys live more times than that, but I was touring myself uh, for years and years and years and years and missed everyone, unless we were on the same show or festival right. um, as you're well aware. So, so you saw 17 in 17 or 18? Is that uh, what you saw? It, 18, or? I believe. Yeah. 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 Un cool. Absolutely unreal. And uh, no, thanks. Uh, it was, yeah, it was right you guys were playing a few songs from Eat the Elephant. Uh, yeah, yeah there would have been Hourglass and Feathers, I think, were the first two, I yeah. think, maybe. Yeah, something like that. And I was just blown away, man. It was it was incredible. And, and uh, I mean, your stage presence is incredible. And, and I mean, you could just tell you oh, were having thanks. the most fun up there. I was. It's so great. <laughs> I definitely was. I mean, it, it kind of was, I mean, I don't know if we have to segue into this record, but I mean, it definitely was the birth of this record just up there. And, um, it, 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 I'd say, you know, I've been touring either as a tech or then for the now more so as a musician with APC for a long time. But I have to say that was my favorite tour. Um, especially in Europe, it was like, you get to a point where you've kind of seen you've seen the cathedrals or the museums you needed to, and then you kind of wind down to like, I'm just going to enjoy the city. Like as a, well, somewhat of a local that's mm -hmm. living in a hotel and had a bunch of days off and the weather was good and it was just everything. But then the shows were just so well oiled and it was, um, it was a great time. It just, overall, I had a great time on stage and I just thought, you know, I don't know how long I can, how long I'll be lucky enough to keep doing this. And just when those things hit you and you just really appreciate every breath you take, it's, it makes it all that much better. You know? Yeah. It's, it's also interesting. So, so close to the world shutting down, not us, not knowing what's coming, getting right. that feeling at that point, like, yeah. like a preemptive, um, little preemptive blast of, of, uh, new energy. Right. It's really, yeah, really interesting. And I, you could tell though, you could tell like just watching, you know, like the ownership of, of that band and, and, and the creation behind a lot of it was in your hands just because you literally look like you were having the most fun out of anyone up there, just all <laughs> over the stage and, and just into it. And I loved that about it because everyone kind of stays in their own lane. Um, right. and you were, you were like the conductor. It was, it was awesome to see. And, and <laughs> uh, you know, uh, that's of course my perception of, you know, from the, from the audience. Um, well, but. it's fun. I mean, I'm kind of not on, um, yeah, it's just, if I don't have to sing, I'm going 
kind of get some exercise. Yeah. <laughs> and all this kind of, all this kind of came about from you being a tech, right? Like uh, it, Monica sent me, I, I usually uh, will read through this and something I didn't know from what the bio was saying was, was that you were a tech for fishbone. Uh, yeah. It, that yeah. band is unreal. And how long were you with them? I saw them in Alaska at a club called gigs in the nineties. And it was like the third show I'd ever seen. And Angelo changed my world. I feel like I've been to every state with them except for Alaska. It's the only, it's the only state I've never been to. Um, I, I was with them from 91 to 93 or okay. 94. Yeah. So, um, quite a bit. And I owe a lot of connections to them. You know, I, mm -hmm. I started this business by answering an ad in the village voice in New York city when I was you know, young and, um, you know, 19 or something. And from there, got a job with this band called the throbs, which, mm -hmm. you know, kind of came and went, they were like a black crows meets guns and roses, um, ish, pretty wild band. And then they kind of, uh, disintegrated and, and fishbone was at CBGB's and I got a, I passed by two tractor trailers outside of CBGB's in New York. And I thought the hell would bring that into that place. It's insane. And I went back to the workshop where I left my toolbox. They said, Oh yeah, there's someone looking for a guitar tech. I think it's fishbone at CBGB. So I went in there and they fired their two techs and hired me. And I had no idea what I was doing and kind of faked it till I made it. And, um, and then made, yeah, I, um, <laughs> this is bad. I feel bad for this poor salesman. The, I, I went to CBGB's, talked to the production manager, and he points out the two guitar techs. He goes, see that asshole and that asshole up there? I'm going to fire those two assholes, and you're going to take both their spots. Go look at that gear. Make sure you can handle it. <laughs> I went there. I wrote it all down, and I was like, yeah, sure. And I was like, oh, God, I have no idea. So I went to, uh, I went to Sam Ash at Music Store uh -huh. and pretended to be a rich kid. Said, you know, my mommy and daddy want to buy me whatever I want. And I want to check out these things. I want to check out an eventide harmonizer and a TC 2290. And this, uh, you know, and I, this poor guy showed me how to use everything. And I kind of quickly learned it and then went back and got the gig. <laughs> it was <laughs> like, yeah, what was it? I love that. So, I love yeah, that. so but from working for fishbone, I met so many bands, including <laughs> tool tool open for fishbone. Wow. As did many, big yeah. bands well big now but you know uh mighty bostones so just did tours of primus and living color and um oh god who uh, uh rage against the machine there were just so many bands that they were peripheral to yeah so, rollins band yeah 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 I've yeah heard. and fishbone was on the very first lollapalooza uh very first lollapalooza did the last few shows actually in your neck of the woods up there in the northwest in 91 yeah um, so you were on that nail spot. Yeah. I do for that. I, I was just looking at my merch the other day and I've got some like a original embroidered sweatshirts and I saved all the merch for that. Kept it in pretty good shape. I was like, wow, it's probably worth something at this point. But yeah, what a memory, man. That was Dude. 30 something years ago. Yeah. That's a legendary event. The, all the jamming that was taking place there and like, uh, it was amazing. Gibby from the Butthole Surfers, like shooting blanks from a shotgun at the audience. Like, <laughs> holy shit, man. Yeah. My thing was, I was such a big Susie and the Banshees fan. Mm. And 
still to this day, that's what I still refer to that position in the festival show when the, when the sun is going down is always known to me as a Susie position. We just say it's Susie position. <laughs> just it's so awesome when you go on at eight o'clock and then the sun's going down and by the midway through the set, it's dark and everyone's like, oh, it's just, you know, the magic of the lights come on and everything. So, yeah. And um, yeah. And then you get to do it yourself. That's we, we played the gorge once in, in, in Washington and it was a, that time of night and the sun was going down. And it was just this like euphoric feeling of being Amazing. on stage playing in front of all these people, but that, 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 that's the setting it was being uh, curated in was, I mean, that, that's the second best venue in America, right? I oh, mean, it's just, man. It's, yeah. Yes. I mean, yes, sir. I mean, nothing can beat Red Rocks in Denver, but I mean, that's, that's a very close second. <laughs> yeah. Those guys went on after I left, they, they've sold out Red Rocks probably five or six times, but like I never got Who's to see that? Red Rock, uh, Portugal, the man. Okay. So I never got to do I never got to do Red Rocks with them, but um, yeah, the Gorge. Oh my God, yeah, it's it's yeah. uh it's something else. But that's crazy. So so Lollapalooza '91, Fishbone finished off the end of that tour because it was it was it was Nine Inch Nails, Bottle Surfers, Body Count, uh, Susie, and James. Rollins Band, Jane's <clears throat> Addiction, and everyone would jam with each other. Right. Uh, so wild, man! They, they but then Rage something. and Tool were swapping. Oh, what was it? Was it Babes and Toilet? I can't remember which tour that because they did it twice. Mm -hmm. uh, where I think Tool was on the second stage for half the tour, and then the main stage for the other half. And they, I believe, it was a swap with Rage wow. that they did. That you know, one was on the main stage, one was on the. Uh, I don't know. I'm sure that's easy to verify somewhere, but that's yeah. what memory holds. But I, I did three Law Blues. It was 91, 93, and 4. So it gets a little murky. Okay. And so 93 would have been with Fishbone, but 94, was 94 right. with Fishbone too, or was someone else? No, uh, Smashing Pumpkins. Oh, shit. Man, <laughs> you just faked it till you made it into like the ultimate position. <laughs> I didn't need to fake I, I just faked it for that one. I just faked it in the beginning of Fishbone. I started to get my shit together after that. Okay. And um, yeah. So no, I, I geeked out on this. I mean, I believe me, I was kind of mad sciencing, my mad scientisting me my way through trying to figure out how to multi-track record with two tape decks and taking about apart my parents stereo and using it as a power amp from the tube TV set. I mean, I just was always a destructively curious, you know, technician from a young age, but, yeah. um, yeah, once it came to like real real gear, I had to get some <laughs> what we call it formal training, which is some <laughs> dubious training. Dude, the four track the four track hack back then that that stuff was wild. The dude, yeah. using the tape decks for that, like that was that was like some real inventive stuff. Uh, yeah, well, bouncing between two regular cassettes. Yeah, right? so you, yeah, you, yeah. It was it, and it was back and forth. I get like eight tracks, and it would sound like such shit by the end, but it had a if you made one mistake, you were in trouble, right? Like, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely, man. There's a there's a, a a documentary I talk about all the time, but it's called Cassette. Have you seen it? No. It's all about like the the cassette itself, like the 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 development of it. The guy who invented it over in Europe, uh, like going through like mock up drawings of what they would look like into making them. Then the culture it started with tape trading and and. Uh, <clears throat> 
and all that, like mixtapes and and just the way it changed the world. Uh, right. It's fascinating. It's absolutely fascinating. Right. Um, did you do a lot of tape trading when you were younger? I mean, yeah. yeah I mean, you making a mixtape for your friends and yeah, getting yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's still I still have every cassette I ever owned somewhere. Oh my god. Um, and uh, I have a lot of demos that were on cassette that most I've put onto the computer. Mm-hmm. And it's always, I, I never really hyper scrutinize them. I just kind of go, I'll go back and take a listen. Like there's been times where I took my four track and loaded it on the computer just so I can, you know, mm-hmm. hear it whenever I need it. But there's some that I have it and I put some in somewhat recently, maybe three years ago, when we were doing Eat the Elephant APC. I, was looking for little things. And there was one song on there that I go, why the hell did I do this on there? Like this is right in that era. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, um, you know, there's still some of those that I've got that can be kind of flushed out, you know? Yeah. Digitizing. That's awesome because it tapes degrade, as you know, and like, you can just, oh, yeah. Oh, geez. Um, yeah. <clears throat> man, I, I remember being at the, the radio station with my dad when I was a, just a youngster and, he wanted me to be quiet all the time because he's recording. He did everything live in one shot for the hour, like the music, the inter- interludes, everything. And there was right. this thing that would erase the tapes. And I just had this weird like fascination with trying to like touch tapes to it. This like magnetic right. thing that just would like strip the tape immediately. Like you put it against it and you got a new tape. Uh, <laughs> this crazy. And it was just like this force that I couldn't help. So he would put me yeah. in the record room and I would just listen to records the whole time. And, and that's where that like spark came in. Do you remember where, where your first spark with music came from? Um, uh, the earliest spark was eight track and it was the pink Panther soundtrack. That's probably the first thing I can remember. Um, Henry Mancini score. Um, yeah, it was like that traditional kind of like cabaret but just that sexy french um music that was in that first i guess it was the first and second of pink panther mm-hmm. really awesome and it was just i, I don't know it would just take me somewhere else you know and then grew into obviously more contemporary music but that's like age five yeah i just remember geeking out on that and then um you know i had older sisters i had four older sisters one of them in particular was a kind of a metal head. And she got me, you know, the day back in black came out. I do remember she came home with that vinyl and she goes, this is going to change your fucking life. You know, I, <laughs> I, I very much remember that. And we went to go play uh space invaders or it was either Pac-Man or I think it was space invaders. that came out the same time. So it'd be 1980, you know? Yeah. It's just like, tell you how old I am. But like, um, it, I just remember that being like one of the greatest days ever. Um, but yeah, that's when other people's suggestions came in. And then when I started to get into my own, my own taste and what, you know, really turned me on things I discovered was I've told this story many times, but it's like uh, this clock radio that was in my mom's bedroom, got this alternative station in LIR called LIR, WLIR in uh, Garden City, Long Island. Mm -hmm. And it was just, it was all the shit you would never hear on regular terrestrial radio was the cure and echo and the Bunnyman and, and, you know, Depeche mode and just the stuff that you weren't going to hear on, you know, the New York rock radios, which was just mm-hmm. going to be Zeppelin and Beatles and 
over and over and over. Yeah. Wow. So, um, that was, the, that was what sparked it for me, which was like, wow, this is an obsession, you know, just obsessed with music until I couldn't listen any harder. I had to go pick up a guitar and try and make my own. And that was, I was kind of a late bloomer. That's like 16, almost 17 when I picked up the guitar. Really? <laughs> that, that blows my mind. Just your, your yeah. skill level on the instrument itself, but then songwriting wise too, like starting so late, that's, uh, that's fascinating to me. And, and the fact that you experienced all those bands and, and all those songs so many times on a clock radio, like that's what you had yeah. to listen to it on and still oh, and loved I wrote it? it down. Yeah. I wrote it down a little pad. I had this little yellow notepad that I, I wrote down and there was one cool record store called sound exchange in Wayne, New Jersey. Uh-huh. Um, that had everything. I mean, they, they were like the curated snobs from hell in there. Like just the, <laughs> the punk rock boys and girls that worked there that were just so full of themselves, but mm -hmm. they were the gatekeepers to everything cool. So you, you know, it was like straight out of a John Williams movie or something like you go up and walk up and go, do you have uh killing jokes? You know, blah, blah, blah. And they go, as if you like killing joke, what are you getting for your, you know, like, oh, like it was just, yeah, it was just, yeah. Me and my, probably my baseball uniform when I'm in, you know, eighth grade or something like that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was that, that was, so that was the next piece of the puzzle was sound exchange because they did have everything. They've got everything that was cool and they had laminates from shows and posters and, I was just explaining this to my kid the other day and showing him a picture of my house from like early on, like early, you know, probably the earliest picture. I go, Oh my God, we would have, I would have paid any amount of money for that picture. I was a kid. He's like, what? He pay for the picture. I, go, I would pay and signed like, no, not signed. Just a picture. Yeah. It, it was, yeah. It was like your identity. You were buying the culture and you were like, the, the music was, you grew to love it. Right. Because we weren't listening to playlists. We were like, sort of you know forced into the lane that you picked and you just you loved it even more you just you got what the artist was that's the thing i mean you're making a record now like i'm making i just made a record that i love every song on it and that's silly to even hear somebody say but like there's a it's an entire album with a sequence made to be listened to in that order because i grew up in that culture and it's i i know the importance it had for me and I want to share that with anyone who cares to listen to it. Yeah. It's bringing back the album concept, like the, just the idea of an album, like the, back then, uh, in your, I turned 40, <laughs> I turned 40 tomorrow. So you're a little bit older than I am, but like the same, I was around the same time when there wasn't the playlist, internet, all that stuff. And you had to sit up and wait. I used to record yeah. the radio on a cassette and just go do what I was going to do, play outside, whatever, and come back and fast forward to find the songs that I liked. And then I would make them onto its own mixtape. Um, right. Or you, you, you had to invest the time in these. You only had so much money if you had any at all. So when you bought a record, it was your record. Like you now have to like this or work right. yourself or figure out. You didn't, you didn't have the, two seconds click two seconds click like oh yep don't like this one you didn't have that option unless you go to the record store and they put the record on for you to preview right. it but what you're right. talking about like with that record store is is you could you basically walked into uh like a like a big change like of course the gatekeepers but then 
being surrounded by the the ephemera and like the the um the culture of touring and and music like with the the, the laminates and the pictures and like that you just walk into this like cocoon of of something you've never really experienced which yeah in in turn changed your whole existence and what you do now like it's it's crazy but like yeah uh i love that you mentioned that like the the you weren't listening to playlists you were listening to records like that's how it was meant to be and yeah there's a there's a um not to go too off track but there's like it's so in college they had us write a paper on this dude's uh essay on on photography how photography destroyed like uh visual art as far as like uh like say the mona lisa for example is a very small painting and it was meant to be seen under the light in the environment that he he set it up in but now you can look at it on the toilet on an airplane on your phone and how it took the the viewer away from the the area where the art was supposed to be witnessed um Mm -hmm. and so there's an argument for that um and now with with playlists and and all this short attention span uh albums were dying because the whole experience of an album wasn't it, it just doesn't exist like it just went away and and the way the the artist meant for that record to be digested like you were talking about all those songs are in a sequence how you intended them to be digested right so that yeah that's interesting to me uh i love that you did that by the way because the record's fantastic like the whole thing is just a vibe all the way through it like it's just there's so much going on and it's but it's so it just welcomes you into it i think it's it's such a um i had no literally no idea what to expect when i put it on and that's why i waited i got the email from monica with the video and but i knew the record uh link would be coming so i waited and then put the record on and listened to it in my car just sat there and listened the whole thing and i wrote her i was like it's time we let's let's get billy on this show um and it's just it's it's it it takes me back to like the the like the cure stuff and like uh like that that uh like some like kind of nine inch nails cure uh echo and the bunnymen like that whole kind of vibe but it's yours like it's it's different oh, it, it it makes me it brings those memories to me but it doesn't i'm trying to explain it correctly it, it brings those memories and those feelings to me but it doesn't sound like them it sounds like you yeah and that's what's so cool yeah, about well, it it's, it's new it's absolutely thank you very much and it's heavily meant to honor a time in my life that was kind of a specific set of years now it doesn't mean that it wasn't influenced by things that are more contemporary or, or went outside of that but i kind of set out to make a record you know i gave myself some guardrails to say this is me listening to music from 1981 to 84 mm-hmm. and because that was the age of my two kids at the time. And I was like, you know, trying to reflect back of listening to what they were listening to and really digging into what was I, you know, what made me who I am musically. Cause I think that's the time, right? That's the time in life when you create your, uh, the foundation of what you build your musical taste upon, mm-hmm. at least it was for me. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I wanted to go and I, I started this record, which is funny. It doesn't really reflect it, but the first two cars records and the first two B 52 records mm-hmm. as Sonic, as Sonic 
North Stars, those were my two records. I wanted to make I wanted to make a record that wasn't too bombastically big, wasn't overhyped in the bass, wasn't like it was just clear, listenable. I could you could put it on many times, you know, and it had songs and it had a flow and it had a story from beginning to end. And, you know, I, I just really wanted to take you from that era of music, the good ones. I mean, there's playing crap records that came out too, and they suffered through because you didn't want to get up and flip the vinyl. Right. But sure. you, there was enough of them that were so good. That first cars record. I mean, the first two cars records are so, so good. And that's the first record I ever bought with my own money was the first cars record. I went to the path mark. In Kenilon, New Jersey, it was 10 bucks. I'll never forget. Walked out of there with that. I earned that money, you know, shoveling driveways, shoveling snow and, you know, doing odd jobs and stuff like that. But it feels good. You know, it's like there's something about earning money and buying something and the the ownership, you know, pride that comes with it. But especially something that I can look back 40 years later and go, God, this record still is relevant and What's going on, guys? This is Dewey from Peer Pleasure, and I want to tell you about our newest sponsor, DistroKid. DistroKid distributes your music across all online platforms. They are an amazing company. I've enjoyed working with them the last few weeks, and they're going to be with us for a while, and I really, really appreciate that. I love working with great companies, and DistroKid is one of them. Uh, They have an awesome thing they're doing right now called Splits. Now, if you're working as most people are online, doing collaborations with people from all over the country, all over the world, as easy as that is with the internet, uh, you want to get those people paid when you put that music online. And splits can do that. You can add an unlimited amount of collaborators to any track. You can change the splits at any time. You can add or remove collaborators at any time. You can see previous splits. And all your collaborators are going to have to do is sign up for a DistroKid membership, a DistroKid account, so they can get paid. And as always, DistroKid never takes a cut. You and your collaborators get 100% of the earnings in total. A couple other awesome things that they do is they set up an official artist YouTube channel. Uh, You can use Spotify Canvas, synced lyrics, promo card to promote your release on social media, a mini video for your socials as well. There's just so many awesome things about using DistroKid. And like I said, I don't advertise things I don't use, haven't signed up for. I have signed up for this. It is a breeze, literally a breeze. And you can get going right away. So definitely check out DistroKid. And I want to give you 30% off your first year's DistroKid membership at any level. That is distrokid.com slash VIP slash PPP for Peer Pleasure Podcast. Once again, that is 30% off your first year's DistroKid membership at any level. Distrokid.com slash VIP slash PPP. Go check out DistroKid right now. Distrokid.com slash VIP slash PPP for 30% off. What's up, everybody? I am Finn McKenty, host of the Punk Rock NBA podcast, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. My podcast is all about doing what you love for a living, and every week I sit down and talk to people who have done exactly that. For example, musicians like Tommy from Between the Buried Me, Matt from Periphery, Lil Lotus and Shinigami, among many others, photographers, artists, designers, YouTubers like Glenn Fricker and Sarah Dietschy, and I unpack exactly how they got to where they are today with the goal of helping you do the same. So if that sounds cool, you can listen and subscribe at soundtalentmedia.com, and I'll see you there. Bowie, Dylan, Marley. 
You've heard the names and maybe you've heard their songs, but what about the stories behind the records that made titans of music like these so universally loved and important? Join me, Josh Adam Myers, host of The 500, as each week I go through a different album from Rolling Stone Magazine's 500 Greatest Albums list from 2012 with an incredible lineup of comedians, actors, and musicians talking about how the music has impacted their lives. New episodes of The 500 come out every Wednesday. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, this is Dewey from Peer Pleasure, and I wanted to tell you about Premium Pleasure, our premium subscription service that's available now. Peerpleasure.supportingcast.fm is the website. There's three tiers, tier one, tier two, and tier three. Tier one is $5 a month. It gets you the ad-free experience. Tier two gets you access to the Peer Pleasure Passcast. It gets you access to the videos of the interviews. It gets you merch discounts. Tier three is $20 a month. That gets you all of that. It gets you the Passcast, gets you the video footage, discounts on merchandise, and monthly Zoom calls with myself and other guests. We're going to have all kinds of stuff in there for you. There's all kinds of stuff in there for you now. There is, uh, I believe, 30 to 40 videos of these interviews. There is uh, multiple episodes of the Passcast. The Passcast is a podcast that I'd started separately that is me and another podcaster or me and a guest uh, discussing a deep dive into their favorite episode of Peer Pleasure. Um, so there's a bunch of those on there. So so-and-so and I would talk about the Chino Moreno episode. So-and-so and I would talk about uh, the Yvette Young episodes. And we would do a deep dive and tell where they came from, how we got the guest, stories of, of that weren't discussed on the podcast or maybe weren't in there. Um, it's just another glimpse behind the curtain. So that's the big deal with this premium service is giving you a glimpse behind the curtain of how the podcast is made, gives you access to things I'm doing and things that we're doing with the show, um, gives you, you know, ad free stuff. It gives you just all kinds of, of things that we could throw in there to help make it a valuable part of your month. Cause I put everything out there on this show. I put everything I have into this show. Um, so being able to give you guys that little bit of extra is a big deal to me and having your support is a big deal to me because if we don't support our artists and creatives, we're not going to have any left. So I appreciate it. Peerpleasure.supportingcast.fm is the website. Go sign up today and get some of this premium pleasure. You know, they put enough into it, but they just weren't trying to make money. You know, they were really trying to make a statement and mark. So that's, uh, you know, when I had, a, I had a lot of great, um, inspiration to draw from back from the time. Yeah. Did you, did you, uh, did you hear that at the song, the songs on that record before you bought it or did you buy it from the cover? Like what, what drew you to that record for your first record? I, I actually heard it. Yeah. Okay. I had heard it because somebody, I think it was my buddy Craig that had it, but it was, you know, there was back then didn't have really the money to go buy every record you wanted. So you copied, mm-hmm. you made a cassette recording of the albums that people have, but you know, the cassettes never sounded as good as the vinyl. So you kind of was a hit and miss. You were going to buy a $10 metal tape to go transfer this $10 album onto mm-hmm. or you're going to buy the record and not have it in your Walkman that you could go, you know, <laughs> walking around and listen to. The um, yeah. The Walkman. <laughs> How about that? The Walkman. That was the ones they even made with the, they were, they were yellow and they had yes, like an extra clip. 
for waterproof yeah, or because something it, waterproof because i was thinking i was going skiing when i was a kid like a, a, we, we had like ski club we could take it up the ski mountain and i dude there was nothing better than night skiing listening to your walkman by yourself on a mountain like it was just one of the most special or or ice skating i mean a lot of my memories because i grew up in new jersey mm-hmm. up in the mountains it's like it's cold yeah you know so i ice skated played hockey you know skied um yeah it was that's when the magic of a a quiet snowfall and listening to music it's like that is too funny a reflection i i i did the same i had my walkman and i would bury myself like dig out like a snow cave and just sit in it with my head sticking out the top and just in at nighttime listening to my walkman uh i completely understand what you're talking about with that <laughs> like it was just it, everything's different you're feeling all these different senses and like it's uh over ear headphones like it was just it was awesome it was right one of my greatest memories like it, it, it yeah. was awesome like just you you're by yourself like if the snow's coming down you can just kind of watch it hit the street lights or whatever like there's all these sense memories that come from environments like that cold hot whatever the way you feel and i feel records imprint on you like like you could say like you knew where you bought that record from i know where i bought your record from like i could also just tell now, you the now, car like it's crazy right and this is where i'm sure if if, if we've not scared any young listeners away they'll be gone <laughs> after this <laughs> preach but just what you what you said just sitting listening to music and watching a snowflake come out or something mm-hmm. you know just to have a reset of mind a um you know, we were lucky enough to not be bombarded with endless choices, you know, paralyzed by too many choices. Mm-hmm. Not that we wouldn't have partaken. I mean, like when we talked about listening to music and being forced to get, get through the record, but then you realize the benefit of it. When cassette players came out that let you skip to the next track. Oh my God, that was amazing. And mm-hmm. so, you know, we, we'd be, we'd be as gluttonously consuming things as teenagers, just like kids are today. And I mean, we do as adults, right. But we have a foundation and a memory of what it is to have that meditative state to truly listen to something. Mm -hmm. And not that everyone doesn't, but I think too many people find music disposable. They don't see its value. Why do I have to pay for it to, okay, well, I'm paying for streaming and it's just, it's, you know, you are as valuable as the weekend and, you know, black sabbath or whatever in between mm-hmm. and it it's a shame because i think you you know you you miss out on something that we can only try to describe but you know like anything else you can't know until you live through it so i think the pendulum swings though i mean there's also culture of you know the culture of vinyl the culture of people that are like trying to somewhat understand from you know understanding there's more to uh music consumption than just rapid fire trying to get that serotonin hit you know dopamine fired up from the the most undeniable saccharine soaked sugar riff Mm -hmm. you know and but that's kind of like music is like food right i mean you yes we all if we're come out of the womb given a choice you're going to eat the you're going to eat the chocolate sundae every single time, but you're going to feel like shit after, but you're still going to go eat it again. Yeah. You're going to feel like shit after and you get a good meal and some, a nice salad and a steak and 
potatoes or whatever's your your thing, you're gonna feel good at you know you're gonna feel good after you know, mm-hmm. like shit after. So I kind of I've had this talk with my boys, <laughs> but you know, good luck listening to that and having it sink in. But um, you know, I think there's some truth to it. Well, this is the the interesting thing about podcasting is we're preserving long form conversation and uh, long form stimuli, and and you know, a lot of people, of course, would listen to this doing dishes or mowing the lawn or doing something else. But the cool part about that is you become part of their subconscious and your voice is their voice for an hour like it's it's interesting really interesting where it's going and the fact that it spun off in this time when everything's so rapid fire is also really fascinating and a lot i think a lot of the people doing it are people that you know my age your age around that time that remember what it was like to listen to a radio program or, or all the way through you know not just in the car but sitting by the radio or sitting by like the clock radio, like you were doing. And, and, um, right. it's interesting. And the cool thing about now, I think is, is also think about back then, if everyone ha- got a shot, like now everyone can have a shot because they can post it anywhere. They can record it themselves. Uh, yeah. if back then everyone in their basement writing music got a shot, I wonder what other things would have popped out that would have been incredible. And, you know, aside from all the garbage, uh, yeah, it'd be interesting. I don't to know. See. It'd be interesting, but I also like I want. I was down there trying my hardest to make it happen, mm-hmm. but I did not have great hope that I was ever going to make it. I mm-hmm. really didn't have. I'm going to, you know, get rich or die trying. Like it was definitely like I loved doing it. I liked music. I like making music that I like to listen to, mm-hmm. and that might have just been me and my mom. You know what I mean? Like it, it and people seem to kind of like it, but in the beginning I started playing in a cover band with these two other guys, the only two musicians I could find in my town. And the, the bass player was a singer. So we played his songs and never played any of my songs. I was way too shy to present them. So I just kept working on music forever on my own. And I, even at that time, there was two songs that made it on Meredith Alms that I wrote back then when I was like in high school, really? which was, um, uh, hollow. And, uh, Hollow and oh, what was the second one? Um, might have been, might have been Brenya. There was two that I know. Hollow was was one of them. It's like the earliest, earliest of earliest songs. But you know, it went through different iterations. And back then, it was a straight up, you know, Cure Waltz song. And then for me, working for Fishbone and doing shows with Alice in Chains, and realizing that Jerry. Cantrell tuned down. By the way, I'm going to see Jerry Cantrell tonight. Oh, hell um, yes. Yeah. My buddy Greg Gatto's singing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Awesome. Um, so once I once I heard Jerry tuning down to C sharp, mm-hmm. I learned them bones and never went back. I, I've been <laughs> in C sharp ever since. And until this record though, I recorded this record with my C sharp guitars, but when I go on this tour, I'm playing an E for the first time since nineteen ninety. I mean, that's the last time I had a guitar strung in standard tuning. Wow. And, um, yeah. Dude, I still can't believe you wrote Hollow in high. I can't, when I bought that record, I didn't make it to the second track for days, probably. Like, I kept repeating <laughs> that song. That, that's a fast song, too. That's a oh, quick, my God. It's a quick song. But that run. Two minutes and 50-something seconds. That run right in the chorus. Oh, my God. I just fell in love with that thing. I just kept going back and back. I was like. 
this is the coolest thing I've ever heard. Like it was uh, just a, you like, know what? Oh. Thanks. But I mean, what's so cool is how Maynard didn't shy away from the puzzle, you know, uh-huh. to sing over that is not something singers usually do. I mean, you, you usually say, Hey dude, can you chill out with your ego and like, <laughs> give me three notes to sing over instead of 17. Yeah. But the, the, whatever the puzzle that he figured out is amazing. And of course what he, you know, did and still does in tool, which is like the ultimate math equation. He's mm. the master at that. Yeah. He, you know, had a different, you know, a, a different, you know, aesthetic with us. And, you know, we kind of set out, we put a few guardrails up in the beginning too, a little bit. And, um, and stayed within that. And it was amazing. I mean, I, I still remember Arrestus and the hollow were the first two that he sang on of my songs. And, um, oh man, he, I think you were psyched. I, I heard, you know, when I got those tracks and it was quick, I mean, he, he hummed over it one day and then came back with, with words quite a bit mm-hmm. of words, uh, quite a few words. And I tracked it. I can't tell you how many times I just would take those takes and just up, you know, once he sang on it and it was all drum machine at that time, I had all the drums programmed with okay. an SR 16, Alesis drum machine. Mm-hmm. You know? um, it just upped the game of everything else. It made the guitar so much better and the bass and everything else. Just like, okay, I got to meet this guy where he's at. So it's just the musical conversation bouncing back and forth with, you know, you're, you're one upping each other in a healthy way. You know? Yes. I love that you say that the musical conversation, that's exactly what it is. You're speaking on another plane of existence and even with words, like it's the sounds that are happening. But but when you start talking about music and words, I'm better at it now. Honestly, I've got better in the past ten years. But I got so creeped out by talking about music back then. I would say I just couldn't have that conversation. It's like you talking sex ed with your mom. You know, like it's like no, I can't do it. I can't talk about this. And it's just like no, we're gonna. It's fine if you want to give me the textbook. I'll go in my room and read. It, you know what I mean? Like, but we're not sitting there having this conversation. <laughs> Same with 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 music. I just couldn't say, "Hey, well, how about we do something that sounds like this or that?" I was mm-hmm. like, "I'm going to play something, and you respond to it, and you do the same, and then we'll we'll go back and forth, and we might tell a fart joke in between." You know, like, the, <laughs> but that's just that's kind of that's how it worked. Oh, I love that <laughs> sex ed talk with your mom. <laughs> yeah, God. most awkward moment of my life. Uh, yeah, yeah, I get, I pick up on that absolutely. And and man, well, okay, so that's that's all incredible. Like right, like right there. But when, like, when did you like your your songwriting is so on point? And I mean, that's something you have to develop over time, but it seems like you had a fairly good grasp on regardless like how you could speak of it or, or your confidence level. It seems like you had a pretty good grasp on that from an early age from, I mean, you started late, but writing songs, which is probably due inherently to the fact of all the music you were consuming and all the different styles of music and the, the eras you were living through. Uh, but do you, I mean, you may not even feel it at this point, but do you remember when you really became uh, confident as a songwriter? Um, there was a, I remember hitting a couple 
um, strides, trying to figure out some songs early on, like in those cassette days. Probably like in the first six months of playing guitar, I feel like I got really good really fast. Mm-hmm. You know, the, 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 the graph from left to right w- went up very steep in those first six months and then kind of gradually went up for the next two years. And I, the music I listened to and the music I played were kind of different. And I would say the same thing with Perfect Circle. I don't know that I listen to a lot of stuff that sounds like Perfect Circle. Um, I think it's me trying to, you know, fit a square into a round hole mm-hmm. sometimes. And, or I should say, a, you know, a melting pot of inspiration and, and kind of uh, the things that turned me on as a kid that were trying to get through all that, you know, post-punk alternative music. Mm-hmm. And then the love of guitar, the gymnastic, you know, the, 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 the you know, athletic guitars. Is that okay to say, you yeah, know, like the, yeah. the Randy Rhodes shit. Like I got super into Randy Rhodes and I wanted to figure out how to play that. You, you know, you're, you get kicked out of rock and roll if you don't try and learn some Van Halen and, mm-hmm. and like, and then kind of marrying those things and never really did any one of them particularly well. Didn't really want to be, I didn't want to be in a, a wedding band. You know, mm-hmm. I didn't want to nail all of that, but I was really interested in what made the Cocteau twins so incredibly alluring. Like what, what was it that was so otherworldly? And I wasn't fully on a detective mission to decode it all, but just, I looked at it like, what is this? And then went on to just the, you know, that trip of like, wow, what is this? And I wasn't thinking like, oh, it's this course pedal and this and that. It's just like, it just, to me, it was that when you're in that flow of creation, you're not thinking about anything else. Time disappears. The problems disappear around you. You're, you're, you're truly floating in some other realm mm-hmm. if you can get there, you know, and, mm-hmm. and it takes a long time to get there, but that's what, that's what it was. So once I kind of got to that place where like, Oh, I'm in that flow space, that, that flow state. Um, it just takes a little bit of foundation of knowing, okay, when I plug this guitar into this amp through this pedal and record it this way and then double track it, Oh shit. There's some like overtones that weren't there with either, either, but the sum of their parts is way more than it was before. And that's what the cocktail twins specialness is. It's all the, harmonic accidents that happen mm-hmm. from Guthrie's kind of guitar. And, and then, you know, Elizabeth Fraser just singing some Celtic cryptic Elfian. I don't know what it was. It was just from some <laughs> other era. And so I loved it, you know, and that's kind of where you pick up on, a, on some of those things. And I just wanted to bring them in. I mean, I, it, with APC version point nine. I was really looking for a female singer like Elizabeth Frazier. I loved Cocteau Twins so much. I thought like, what is the heavy version of Cocteau Twins sound with all the other things I loved with Killing Joke and, and um, those heavier things. And the only thing that got close to it that I heard was garbage. When I first heard garbage, I thought, Mm. okay, this is a more polished version of it than I thought. I wanted it to be a little more, you know, grimy. Um, but you know, I think that they were really, uh, showed, you know, that there was a light down a path with uh, heavier female led music. And mm-hmm. so when perfect circle started, I think man and I both loved 
the idea of a feminine approach to um, somewhat heavier, you know, atmospheric music. Yeah, man, there's, uh, I, I, there's so much there I've, that I want to talk about, but I, I really, uh, one, one thing that's hitting my mind is, is when I think of your playing and in, in your, your songwriting, and and this is strictly my own thing from from being a listener. But you, you're so good at holding space for others, like to to shine. Like you were talking about, like like Maynard singing over the hollow. Like, uh, but you're, I'm trying to I'm trying to word this correctly here, Billy, because you're you're you can tell, like like there's dynamic. There's a lot of dynamics to what you do. Um, but you're, you're holding space for other people to also shine through in these songs that you're writing, especially with the perfect circle, but going to this album, this, this, uh, what normal was that's coming out, you did most of that stuff yourself. So when you're doing something like, well, same, remember it with ABC, I do too, right? Like, so I'm, but not the vocals, like not, not a lot of the vocals. So right, not the lead vocal. Manners all that's his words, his melodies, his his everything. But musically, if you're kind of writing everything, you don't need to prove. I, I know what you're asking. I think I'll interrupt and just say this one. Sure. Thing. If you're if I'm playing guitar or I'm playing bass and I'm playing keys and I'm programming drums, well, I'm not precious about any particular one of those instruments. I want the song to be as good as it can be. I want the the narrative or whatever it is that. That what suits the song? That means shutting up for you know twenty bars on if I'm going to ultimately play guitar live, then so be it. That's the that's what it is. Mm-hmm. So I think it's that um, my oversized ego and my lack of ego kind of are intersecting right there. Which is yes, I'm kind of I'm kind of a one man, you know, writing. I, I'm writing by myself because I started doing it that way because I just didn't have anyone really to write with. I didn't know musicians back then. I had that, mm-hmm. like I said, that cover band, but that kind of dissolved. It was just, we played three shows and that was it. So the other thing, everything else was writing with headphones on as a tech on the road and not wanting to bother. Certainly not want to bother the bands I'm working for, but not the, the roadies I'm on the bus with either. So it's like mm-hmm. a very musical diary going along the whole way. So the space and the appropriateness, I think comes from that, um, you know, that ego, I guess. Yeah. Being on both sides, being, working for yeah. the band, being in the band, being the band. That's such a crazy, uh, such a crazy, like push and pull kind of deal. It, it, I really think that, that like you're saying, like it just informs what you do. Like that's, I think that's why it's so interesting to listen to because you're, if you can hear that struggle or feel, feel that struggle that you're going through as you're doing it, uh, you know, it's just a cool thing. You know, and someone that can do all that, do all those things and do them well and put them together in a way that's cohesive and, and, and a journey, uh, is rare still, I think of, uh, that, that wouldn't let certain things overshadow other things. Um, and yeah. not, not give way to the song, but just like kind of stroke that ego on every aspect. And it's just a crazy conglomeration of things instead of being tasteful and and letting the song speak for itself i really admire that about what you do um a lot thanks and it was really nice this record i you know danny loner has made is my best friend and has helped me you know work on music for a long time 
And it was just so great really bringing him in for, you know, to co-produce this record with me because he mm-hmm. vocally, it, it let me um, really start becoming uh, uh, insecure is the wrong word. What, what is it like? Hey, what do you think of this? What do you think of it? Instead of me just doing things until it felt right. Like I'll keep, if I'm writing by myself, I'll keep doing it. I'll keep going until it doesn't bother me. I'm just taking away, I'm trying to take negatives, you know, negative sticks out of the pile until I'm left with only things that don't bug me, you know? Mm -hmm. And I know it's not a great way to look at it, but then if you're listening to something over and over, you kind of have to get to that place. With this record, um, it was a lot of work, a lot of fun, and it was the record I would have I wanted to make when I was the age when I came out or when I started playing, but didn't have the money, the means, the understanding. I couldn't have made this record, you know, after I made Married in Arms and 13 Step. Like, I, I wouldn't know how to make this record. Mm-hmm. I, I, couldn't, I couldn't have done it. And I don't think I was as good a songwriter, to be honest. Like, um, I think I still stand, I'm really proud of everything we've done with APC, but I, I think that this is why I felt important to call it, you know, a solo record under my name is it's definitely the most um, revealing of me musically. Yeah. Without being like esoteric, I, I, you know, I think some, there's some push sometimes to do things that are a little more, Oh, let's do the space jam or do these long lofty instrumentals or this. I, I really didn't, I wanted like a record you could really listen to, you know, that Mm -hmm. could, not it wasn't like a, a esoteric journey that you really had to be on mushrooms to enjoy you know sure sure and it, <laughs> i think you accomplished that i mean it's it's in in no way easily digestible i would never put that uh moniker on it but it is it is all like one flowing coherent thought it feels like like it, it, it's just like i said a vibe like it's just like a it's not a word i use very often but there's just a vibe like you just feel it like it just makes you feel all the way through and that's what's so cool about it. like a lot of i mean i'm not to in completely complete honestly i'm not a fan of a lot of just solo records right like when someone goes off and does a solo record it's usually not as good as what they were doing before but i mean with what you do with a perfect circle by by doing so much in in that band like this I was not surprised that I really dug this record because it's, I mean, it so much of you is in perfect circle and all of you is in this. And so it just made sense, but it was, I, I didn't know what to think before I put it on. I just went in with an open mind and like, let's check this out. And I, I literally sat on the side of the road in a neighborhood in my car and listened to the whole thing before I went home. And oh, wow. uh, thanks man. That's awesome. I just didn't want to stop. I wanted, like, I need to ingest this all at once and then I can pick it apart afterwards right. and uh i haven't done that in a long time and uh <laughs> it, it felt good man like it did like it was like i just sat still for that long and just enjoyed something when right. just watching the you know watching the trees watching the bird it was in a nicer neighborhood in portland here and uh in the shade and the sun was out and it was just like wow this and experiencing uh kind of we're talking about the walkman thing like just kind of taking in what's happening at that moment in time and appreciating that with a soundtrack it's really right. really a cool thing yeah but, yeah um, yeah thanks i appreciate it who do you have uh who do you have coming out with you then on this tour who's playing with you 
in the band. Yeah. Um, this guy, Ke- Kevin Meyer, he's a, he's a lead singer of a band called Fake Shark up in uh, uh, Vancouver, okay. Canada. Canada. Um, yeah, so he's playing bass and singing backup. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I got him through my, you know, through Danny Lunder. Okay. Uh, Danny, Danny is going to do the tour. I've been, really? he's been kind of back and forth. Yeah. We've been kind of back and forth. He, he is my de facto band member, right? Like he mm-hmm. I said, he co-produced it, but he's whenever I'm making art, approving art, looking at anything, I'm always going to have Danny weigh in mm-hmm. and he's an invaluable, you know, data point for me. And, um, yeah, so he's going to come play guitar, which I'm thrilled about because he's, he could be my de facto music director and mm-hmm. you know, could kind of handle other things. Um, uh, keys were still, uh, I, I think there's, we had, I had a keyboard player that she had a prior engagement. So I'm looking for a replacement. And I think I've, found it and it's a guy that's friends with Danny and I won't name yet because I don't okay. call the trigger, but that could be in the next 48 hours. Sure. <laughs> um, and then this kid, Grayson, uh, Nekrutman, this amazing, phenomenal young drummer out of New York that, um, yeah, has signed on to do the tour. So I would definitely, if you haven't checked out this guy, this guy's like a crazy amount of followers on Instagram, uh, for good reason. He does like a mm-hmm. buddy rich, protege big band stuff but tons of finesse and you know powerhouse and mm-hmm. um, but you know i've been feeding him songs and just hearing him seeing the videos he sent back is truly fun to watch so and i'm pretty spoiled with great you know great drummers so he's uh he's filling big shoes as far as what i'm used to so you know josh mm-hmm. freeze played on the record yeah on this record as well as you know most everything i've ever done the only mm-hmm. record josh freeze didn't play on of mine is is uh eat the elephant um so even the first ashes record yeah. most josh so wow. and this kid tosh peterson played two songs or a song and a half on this record i don't heard his name but he's another uh rising star drummer that's you know really good a bat like a real energy he's like a josh freeze on caffeine <laughs> you know, 20, 20, young 20 something. Yeah. Man. But, but yeah, so it's going to be those, we're going to have five of us out in the road. So, Dude, I'm so excited for this. I'm going to be at the Portland show for sure. Um, I, oh, killer. I, I'm really, really looking forward to this. I believe it's the Wonder Ballroom, uh, which is a fantastic venue. I'm pretty sure that's what I saw on the list. Um, cool. Not positive, but without pulling up in front of me, but, uh, Man, I I am I am stoked. I am I am like I said, I've been a fan of yours for a long time, and and uh, it's just been uh, an absolute pleasure to to chat with you, Billy. I I really yeah. appreciate you taking the time, man. And and uh, I'll let you get out of here so you can get to see Jerry. Um, yeah, in a, in a reasonable amount of time because it's going to be a yeah. good show, man. That Brighton record is incredible. Um, yeah. Speaking truly. of solo records, yeah. that one kicks ass. <laughs> it's so good. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. And, and Greg. Yeah. Pukiato's got a new solo record coming out. Um, yes. I think in June. Yeah. So I believe my friend Chris uh, Hornbrook plays drums for him. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's really good. I'm very excited for people to hear that too. And, you know, Greg and I have talked about working on uh, Black Queen stuff with uh, Steve Alexander as mm-hmm. well. So, mm-hmm. you know, we got more to come from us coming in the future. 
dude that's awesome man i i I appreciate i appreciate the time and thank you for all the music man and and i mean literally hours spent just digesting and experiencing what you're doing and and uh i can't thank you enough for it dude and uh i'm 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 so stoked for this record to to hit everyone else's ears because i have it on mine but uh that's one of the joys of doing this as long as they don't think it's some solo record like we were just describing yes before they won't they won't (laughs) (laughs) it's spreading the word that's the hardest part you said like what would it be if there was the access of today make records that what you know if people had that access back when we were coming up and yeah it's sometimes it is the promotion and it is getting the word out and i have to tell you it's something i'm very not interested in but it's absolutely necessary so um yeah spreading the word is tough yeah I hear you, man. I, 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 uh, yeah, I wish you were playing the Pussifer show up here in Portland. Uh, uh, Karina's a friend of mine and, and, uh, we're going to get together then too. And, uh, it'd be awesome to just have lunch or something, but, um, yeah, yeah but yeah, those two, through. we're doing two shows with opening for Pussifer here in LA and then in, uh, Michigan. Yeah, so. dude, it's gonna be awesome. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. I'll, I'll All stop right, talking your ear off, man. Thank you very much and, and enjoy Jerry and, uh, we'll talk again soon. All right. Sounds good. All right, brother. brother. Bye-bye. All right, guys, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with the great Billy Howardell from A Perfect Circle. He's got his solo record out, What Normal Was. It is amazing. He's on tour now, so go check him out. Uh, Check out the record. The vibe is really, really good. Um, I really, really enjoyed it. And I just enjoy talking to people that are super creative that I've been listening to for a long time. It's one of the perks of doing this podcast, uh, and this was no exception. So thanks to Billy for coming on. Thanks to Monica for setting it up. Uh, after we've been working on it for years, she really uh, kept us in the loop um, when things were going to be finished. And uh, I always appreciate her. So thank you to Monica for that. And thank you to all of you for coming back week after week. I really appreciate it. Uh, just things just keep growing. I say it week after week, but it's real. Stuff just keeps going. Like I said, it's Father's Day. It's been a tough one uh, without my dad. It's you know been several Father's Days now. And uh, I know a few friends that have lost their dad recently. Uh, and I'm feeling for them. Uh, just hopefully you guys can keep the spirit alive with your kids. Uh, and if you, uh, are hurting, you know, you can always reach out. Um, you know, it's a hard day for a lot of people. Um, but it's also a special day. So I appreciate all the messages that have come in already. Um, you guys are always so nice to me and, and always checking up on me and and how I'm doing, which I really appreciate as well. It's really cool that you can put something out in the world and, and people respond and react and remember and, and uh, just uh, something that's over the airwaves, something that's audio, uh, that then becomes tangible. It's something really cool, much like music. Uh, it's just a feel, a human connection, and uh, you put it out there and you get that energy back. Uh, couldn't ask for more. So thank you guys very much. I'm going to get out of here and enjoy the rest of the day with my kids. Uh, hopefully you guys are doing the same, and uh, we'll see you next week. As always, see you on the radio.
This is the story of Whitney Houston. This is the story of Kurt Cobain. Of George Michael, of Otis Redding, of Amy Winehouse, of Michael Hutchins, Bob Marley. This is the story of Prince. It's a new podcast series. About how they died, why they died, and why we're still talking about them so long after. It's like nothing you've ever heard before. It's storytelling. But it's more than that, because rock stars... They tell us how we feel. They change our mood. They change the clothes we wear, the people we hang out with. The way we remember things. It's them who give us those ludicrous moments, the ones where you're... Jumping around, singing your heart out, feeling understood. And it's those moments we'll help you remember, the ones you're thinking about right now. That feeling. That feeling. It's coming soon from Crowd Network. Just search for Death of a Rockstar on your podcast app. And subscribe now.